this is giving the game away an attempt to shine light on areas of the modern sporting world that aren't talked about that much. We had the idea to do a podcast and we originally just said to each other, right, let's interview some sports people about their mindset for approaching elite sport. But as that idea has grown and come on, we've realised that there is just so much to be encapsulated in the world of modern sport that we could talk about. And so each person we interview will try and reflect a different corner of that world. We've interviewed a range of athletes from a whole host of sports, including cricket, football, rugby, basketball and more. But we've also tried to speak to people from within sports in other areas, such as lawyers and agents and broadcasters. And we hope that the interviews will provide an insight into areas of sport that you may not know that much about. So today's episode is with Alex Davis, who is an England Sevens rugby player who pretty much personifies what we're trying to do with giving the game away. This is obviously a podcast which has a strong emphasis on the mental side of sport and I think you'd struggle to find an athlete out there who is as open to talking about the mental side of sport as Alex is but aside from that he's also a phenomenal athlete he's won a bronze medal at the Commonwealth Games in Australia as well as a silver medal at the Rugby Sevens World Cup in San Francisco and he's won a whole load of other achievements aside from that and he's just got a great story and we really enjoyed chatting to him and we hope you enjoy listening to it. Also, this week is slightly different because we decided to break the budget and hire a room and a videographer to film the podcast. So if you're interested in watching the video, then you can head over to our YouTube channel to watch it. Uh, But if not, sit tight and listen to it on here. So thanks, Alex, for coming on. Appreciate it. Um, You sort of, in a way, epitomise what we're trying to do with giving the game away. You've obviously been through a lot in your career, um, demonstrated a lot of resilience, a lot of mental strength. been really open about mental health and you've had obviously aside from that as well such a great career so thanks for coming on mate um and thanks for being a part of us doing it in the studio for the first time it's obviously yeah it's a cool space yeah it's exciting it's yeah. so good not having to do it over zoom right? yeah all the ones we've done before over zoom we're just getting a bit fed up of it always interrupting each other and there's a bit of a delay and stuff so it's so nice doing it in person so yeah it's thanks good. for coming down no it's all good i'm very i'm very excited to be here um and yeah like i say a very cool space <laughs> Very professional setup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna have to live up to that. Yeah, let's hope the content lives <laughs> up to to the space we're in. It does feel weird having all this gear here, like all this these cameras and lights and yeah. stuff. It doesn't yeah. feel natural. It's but. something about the light that made it seem like really special. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. It's just that light, it's kind of Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> right, sweet. So if you we just start with um, lockdowns, obviously a normal place to start. Um, you had sort of a busier lockdown than most because you obviously did the shaved and eight nominate um, initiative. So that must have been quite overwhelming to like get the, res- the support you had for that. Yeah, it was pretty mad. I think, well, just I've done quite a few charity campaigns with the with the Sevens team like, over the time. Obviously, quite one of the natural ones of rugby players is Movember. Like everyone usually gets involved with that. You see lads out on the pitch with stupid tashes and, and beards and whatnot. So that's a cool one that we've done before. But... I don't know, I've just always recognised that we as athletes and sports people have a, a good platform like with our social media following and and uh, yeah, we can have an impact on, on like the wider community and so I thought, oh, I want to do something sort of better with my time during lockdown aside from just keeping fit with exercise and activity and started to think of ideas of how can support obviously the efforts that people were doing to or during the coronavirus um, pandemic and came up with this idea of shave donate nominate on instagram which is kind of like a i guess a, a hashtag trend that i was getting trying to get started essentially shave your head 
donate some donate some money to the NHS appeal, which we set up a fundraising page through Virgin Money, um, and then nominate some mates to do it, and it blew up. I felt like felt like a bit of a social media influencer <laughs> for a little bit. Like honestly, I was like spending too much up. time on my phone. Yeah, it was just like the hype was crazy around it, but it was wicked. Like to see that response to like the general public getting involved, random people messaging me being like, um, thanks for starting this, it's a really cool thing you've done. And yeah, to have that kind of really positive, mm. positive impact was, was amazing. And I think we raised just over 26,000 pounds in the end. Which, that's I crazy. Mean, yeah. Wasn't expecting to do anything like that. I was, I was thinking, I don't know, five grand would be decent. Yeah, but yeah. that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I think what you say about sports people having a platform to impact change is, is so true. And you see people like Marcus Rashford has been doing stuff yeah. over lockdown as well, which was great. And uh, Raheem Sterling and, yeah. and yourself, and you're among that group. Well, which I, is... I wouldn't put myself <laughs> up there with them. But like, yeah, similarly, obviously, I, I follow American sports quite a lot. And LeBron James is obviously, he set up that um, his own school in Ohio, back in Cleveland, I think. And obviously there's all sorts of, like superstars like him, which I don't put myself in that same category, <laughs> but like, um, yeah, I just thought we've got platforms to use, like why don't use it for, for better and for good. So yeah. yeah, it was pretty cool. You had you had a load of sportsmen like jump on it as well, didn't you? So yeah. Like Sam Billings. As yeah, Sam Billings, who I went to uni with at Loughborough and I just nice. like, just reached out to people obviously, cause that's the way to do it. And sports, is, sports got such a good network. Um, and obviously when you're doing something like that, usually people are more than happy to support what you're up to. And yes, yeah, so I got him and then like, Rory McConaughey, who's now at Bath, ex-England Sevens teammate of mine, and um, Sonny Webster, who was a Bristol Team GB weightlifter, who's now out in Australia, he got involved. So, yeah, it was, it was wicked. And he, we even got some women involved in the end. Like, that was... That's a good aspect that. Yeah, that's yeah. big. Like, obviously, yeah. for a bloke to shave his head, it's just like, yeah, cool. Yeah. It'll grow back in a couple of months. But for, for some women to do that, it's like... It's yeah, a big commitment. Big commitment, yeah. exactly. So that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. You've also... Another thing you've been doing over lockdown, uh, I read, is that you've been reading a lot of poetry. Has that been to sort of help uh, cope with the, the stressful situation that has been the pandemic? Yeah, um, I wasn't, I guess I wasn't particularly committed to my poetry or like English <laughs> at school, but I think like having gone through life and experienced setbacks and just like, I guess, life experiences, I've just opened myself up more to, to, um, different avenues of like learning and uh, and poetry is kind of one of those ones that obviously they the poems can be quite subjective and interpret you can interpret them however you want as the reader so I quite like that it's a bit more I guess you could say spiritual um, but yeah it's a good way just to like switch off in the mornings or like if you're having a bit of a rough day like take your mind away from something um, bit of escapism so yeah. um, and I found yeah I found these two books um, by William Seagar there's like a volume one, volume two, and they've kind of got different chapters and fun. Oh, it's called the, um, the Poetry Pharmacy. So actually they've been, the poems have been used to prescribe to people with like certain conditions. Some might be like mental health or depression. So that was quite, I felt relevant to some of the things I've learned from as well. Mm. So yeah, pretty good actually. So check them out. It's, de it's definitely like lockdowns given that opportunity to get into those sort of things that you like before you just never would have done. Yeah. Like I this mean, podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, def I think that's right about lockdown. People obviously recognize like we're never probably going to have these sorts of times again where you've just got free time, essentially, especially if you're on furlough. So um, why not? I mean, obviously you've got to sometimes take, take the break and use it for kind of doing nothing. But at the same time, it is an opportunity to explore some different interests. So yeah. poetry. 
yeah it's new to me but it's been quite cool <laughs> yeah and then other than that what what else have you been doing in lockdown i see i heard you say your mate has a gym so yeah i got a, fr- um, a friend down in um just down in this is centre by temple meets higher bristol um, the ideal. yeah so he <laughs> he was very kind to to lend me some weights during lockdown so i managed to get a little setup at home like pulled some old shelves out of the garage and set them up and they're not really standing anymore, like dents in them where I've just dropped the weights and mum's not too happy about that. But um, yeah, really lucky that he lent me some. So I've been trying to keep fit and active obviously as much as possible. Yeah. Most people over lockdown have let themselves go. So yeah, yeah. You've done well. I mean, I've enjoyed lockdown as well. Like, my sister was baking cakes constantly, like dropping them off. So I had to get that balance between doing some exercise and then enjoying some cake afterwards. Yeah. But There's a phase everyone was making banana bread. There was yeah. like a constant supply of banana, banana bread. Banana bread and sourdough, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the craze. Um, so yes, I've been relatively busy, um, but at the same time, like I said a minute ago, I've also enjoyed just like doing nothing. Yeah. Because for the past six, seven years being involved in professional rugby, it's just been like go, 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 performance mindset. Yeah. Whereas for once it was kind of like, it was pretty obvious that rugby wasn't returning soon. So just take your foot off the gas a bit and just enjoy doing exercise or doing nothing more out of pleasure than mm. worrying about competition or having to go to the next tournament. So. That's been really nice yeah, yeah. to switch off and be back in Bristol, which I don't get to do very often, come back, spend some time with mum and my sister, yeah. who obviously I don't see often being away so much. So yeah, there's definitely like, as they say, some silver linings to it all. Yeah, especially sevens, obviously, because you're literally going from one place to the other, tournament to tournament. It must be nice just to chill out in Bristol for yeah, a bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just constantly kind of jet setting from one place to yeah. the next, kind of living out of a suitcase, essentially. and. Yeah, come back and like remember why I love Bristol so much because just lived here all my life and it's a cool city. So, no, I've definitely felt that like when people have come back and we're all in Bristol together, like all mates and stuff, everyone realizes how sick Bristol actually yeah. is. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. everyone like goes to London at one point and they come. Now they've come back, they're realizing actually Bristol's pretty good. Yeah, I think like I've got a lot of mates in London and and it's not necessarily I don't really miss London as much I miss just more the people so like because yeah, yeah. um, Bristol I feel like has just got just as much to offer it's just the, the network of people if I could if I could pick them up and put them anywhere I'm still I'm still going to have a good time it's not yeah, necessarily yeah. about the place it's more about the people that are involved so it's always good to come back like connect with people um, meet some new faces <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> do some new challenges and stuff so it's just open up to like new opportunities and do you know when you're going to be back playing rugby again? Uh, sadly not. No, not for the time being. Um, just, yeah, continuing, keeping myself fit and active. Obviously, there's some still some goals to, to hopefully be achieved, like with Tokyo being shifted by a year and stuff. But, yeah, for the time being, kind of rugby's on pause. But keeping the faith. Mm. So what's, obviously, that recent announcement by the RFU, what exactly sort of are the alternatives that can be done at this point? So they're just cutting funding for sevens aren't they they are a few is yeah it? so obviously like the whole world is having financial difficulty and yeah. the RFU are part of that and they're worried about their financial situation so it's a real change in like direction and like uncertainty but um, I, I guess the goal still remains the same of getting to Tokyo yeah. 2021 20, 2021 20, can't, can't get out <laughs> so I'm not used to saying it um, yeah next year so because Team GB have got a team so they're going to have to send yeah. some, some squad so it's about trying to stay motivated by that whilst also balancing, this, like trying to yeah. get some money in and, and keeping fit and playing rugby and just staying ready. So it's a tricky one at the moment because obviously the 15s clubs are worried about their own money as well. So we have to try and sell ourselves cheap, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
So would you consider making the jump to 15s potentially? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I probably hadn't really considered it too much before this happened, but because like Olympic Games and then uh, in 2022, there's the Commonwealth Games again, but it's in Birmingham, which is a bit different to the Gold Coast a couple of years ago, <laughs> but like <laughs> it's a home games, which obviously is unreal. Um, so that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so 15s is definitely on my radar now. Uh, used to play it obviously before going into sevens at university and at school. So um, I'm excited by that potential challenge if something comes along, but we'll see. And like, I'm even exploring possibilities of going abroad, playing abroad, whether that be in obviously France or people talk about America. So, cause that's quite cool in itself as well. You get the, the change in culture, the change yeah. in lifestyle. Um, so yeah, 15s could happen, we'll see. Um, and you say you played 15s, throughout all your childhood really how come you decided to specialize in sevens uh yeah it was a it was a bit of a random one like I had I hadn't really played it for sort of three or four years since leaving school going to uni and then an opportunity came up once I'd finished the 15 season at, at Loughborough uh end of my final year so I was kind of ready for the next chapter of what whatever that may be with rugby and I thought um yeah, basically an old, an old coach of mine at Loughborough was running a sevens team in the summer and he said, oh, we just had someone drop out. Do you fancy a game? And I was like, yeah, decent. I'll, I'll chuck, get chucked involved. And obviously the weather's usually pretty good when sevens is around, like the sun's out and playing mm. in the summer. So I think it was um, sevens in the city at Allianz Park where Saracens play. And happened to be that Simon Amor, who's our current England sevens coach, was helping out with the team. Um, and I went along and it, and it went pretty well. And Next thing you know, I was invited down to train with them and and went all right and got invited to go to a couple of European tournaments, got a contract off the back of it. So it wasn't really on my radar, but um, I think I just chose, like, obviously the lifestyle's epic with all the traveling around yeah. the, the locations and um, it just, it's a fun, it's a fun sport. Like, there's freedom to play. Yeah, um, You throw the ball around. It's quite, like, um, similar to student rugby, which I was coming off the back of where you just, yeah, like I say, there's license to just experiment with, mm. with your styles and like where you just chuck the ball around from anywhere, ambitious style of play. So those sevens and like that, my experience of student rugby kind of went hand in hand. So I was pretty excited at the prospect. And I was like, what, 21, travel the world. It's like, yeah, it sounds yeah, all right. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, mean, I, don't, I don't have the ability or the pace really, but if I did, I think <laughs> yeah. I'd probably choose sevens. There's always like, space, I don't know, like Water Boy or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 You'd get me a gig Natural as a Water Boy. Yeah, that. man. <laughs> Mate, it's a glamorous to... job around the world, but we, need, we all so, need them. So yeah, you've obviously played sevens in Australia. I think that was your first tournament, but you've been to Cape Town sevens, Hong Kong, LA. Where would you say has been the best place you've played? <sighs> yeah, I mean, obviously, you can never sort of sometimes look past your first cap, which was the Gold Coast Australia for me, which was mad and it was crazy as well. It was like the same week as my birthday. So we took off on like October the 1st and I knew my birthday was, well, my, my birthday's October the 3rd. So I was like, right, I'm flying out to Gold Coast Australia, make my debut. But it just so happened that as we took off, obviously the length of the flight, we basically <laughs> flew through my birthday. Lost in transit. Lost my birthday in <laughs> transit. So I had like an hour of my birthday, I think, in like um, <laughs> Singapore airport or somewhere. And then we just flew through. It was like October the 4th or something stupid when we landed. I was like, sound. Get the beers in on the yeah. plane. Um, but yeah, Gold Coast was obviously wicked. Like, um, what a place to start. That's cool. Yeah, unreal. The beaches there are just mental. Went back there for the Commonwealth Games. But... Um, 
Cape Town is epic. I love going there. I've been fortunate enough to play there like five or six times, and we won there in 2016, beating South Africa in the final, which is They're just, mad for sevens, aren't they? Yeah, like, yeah. we play in the Cape Town Stadium. It's like 55,000, and it was sellout crowd that year. It's crazy. Playing South Africa in the final was just wild. Um, so that's wicked, like, you're on the beach in the, the summer. But then also, like, Vancouver, funnily enough, Canada isn't obviously considered much of a rugby nation, mm. but they put on such a good tournament and it's indoors so the, the noise is crazy and they've got this like screen above you which is the size of like a football pitch it's mental so there's just I think each location is so unique sometimes it's really hard to put your finger on what your favourite but yeah. probably Cape Town or Vancouver I'd say are probably up there um, and then obviously there's like the obvious one which is London where you get all your friends and family mm -hmm. are able to come along and, and you get like a massive turnout and you see all your your mates in the stands like absolutely hammered and stupid fancy <laughs> dress and you're warming up at the end of the pitch and they're screaming your name and you're just like yeah it's cool lads just gonna go <laughs> I feel like a day out of the sevens is just a properly good day out yeah yeah, yeah. I know I'm really looking forward to like whenever it whenever it comes along going be able to enjoy it as a punter as well yeah. just like oh, this is what everyone was having a crack <laughs> with in, in the stands just legless and you've mentioned your debut there down on the Gold Coast what was it like that stepping out onto the pitch, putting on that England jersey for the first time. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying, yeah. Because yeah. it was in, it was in like two minutes of the first game kicking off, playing against Argentina. It was like 35 degree heat. And I was like, oh, and they called me on. I was like, oh my God, I'm actually gonna go on now. Um, and I had a shocker. Um, I think I like made a couple carries, gave like two tries away, threw some dodgy offloads. <laughs> And we lost the game and then Simon, our head coach, like absolutely hammered us after the game and I was just sat there like, oh no, this is my this is my England career over. Obviously just completely catastrophized everything. I was thinking, <laughs> God, this is a nightmare. But then we went on to win a bronze medal, like beat um lost to Fiji in the semi final and then beat South Africa, one of like came third in my first tournament. Yeah, and I was like, Okay, so. it's not not yeah, it's yeah. not all bad. I like I had a rocky start, but like make up for it. So yeah, I mean it was crazy and then after the tournament we get presented with our sevens caps which um obviously that's a really special a special moment like with the, with the whole team say a few words and then they just shut you down like shout in your face <laughs> like, sit down as soon as you start saying anything but yeah that's something that will stick with me for a long time obviously that was a, a a dream of mine from a young age to to represent england um as a professional rugby player so when that was sort of that cap was handed over to me. I've got it framed. I actually put it up today on my wall, so framed at home, which is, yeah, something that will just stick with me forever. Yeah, I bet that's the moment when you think, wow, I've, I'm actually an international yeah. sportsman. Sort of, when you've got that cap in your hand, yeah. like, this is just I surreal. know, it's like, even if that had been my last, my first and only tournament, like, I still essentially tick that box. Like, you, no one can ever take that away from you, whether you go on and have a 10-year-long career or one-year-long career, you'll always have that name as, like, an England rugby player, so... Yeah, it was just, yeah, pretty spectacular, to be honest. I think the thing with sevens that's so good is obviously you go to those places like Australia and South Africa, like the place where you, you go if you're playing 15, but then you also go to like places like you're saying, like Vancouver and Dubai and places like that, just that are sort of new to rugby. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's also kind of the beauty of sevens is you get some pretty rogue nations as well yeah. playing on the World Series because there is like relegation and promotion. So sometimes especially at Hong Kong, you watch like the qualifier for the teams trying to come up onto the World Series and you've got like South Korea, Zimbabwe, Uganda, um, Chile, like really random yeah. nations. But 
when you go to Dubai and places like that, the, it's just such a festival atmosphere and it's just wicked to yeah. even like locations like that. They do such a great job of promoting the sport yeah, and sure. everyone wants to just live off the hype and just have some fun. And I think that's why I've enjoyed it so much and why the punters do too, because it's just a, it's always such a sick atmosphere. Yeah. I think it's great to grow rugby outside of its sort of traditional borders as yeah. well, like in those sort of emerging nations. It's a great introduction to rugby and it's going to just attract fans all over the world, which is yeah. really nice. Well, it's just kind of like, although it's obviously, a, apart from the seven players and the seven minutes a half, like it's all the same, but it's like stripped back because there's so yeah. much more space. It's much easier to follow. Mm. Like you don't have to worry so much about there being loads of stoppages of scrums and lineouts. And even if there is a scrum or lineout, they're over pretty quickly. Like yeah. it's pretty much in and out. And then you just, before you know it, the ball's just in play. And it's much easier to follow than, I guess, 15 aside, where there's kind of all the nuances and there's offsides and full yeah, passes, yeah. which you don't really get so much. It's I guess also because it's such a short game, you can get quite a lot of upsets as well because yeah. you can just turn like that. Yeah, we've been on the receiving end of a few of them. <laughs> and it's like, it's brutal. And you watch them all the time and people are always looking out for them. And I think that's just, like you say, that's what makes it attractive because games can turn around and it's just... just be, like a couple of errors and then yeah. complete upset. Yeah, because everything's under the microscope. So... Um, like next thing you know, New Zealand have lost to uh, Japan. It's like, yeah, it's mad. Yeah. But then you get like you get into the semi-finals, and if New Zealand have lost a game, it means that one side of the draw is loaded. So you get like four top nations on one side. But that's then great because sometimes it might mean like Canada then make a World Series final, which then is great exposure for them and their team and their players and rugby in Canada. So yeah, it's it's epic. So you had the Gold Coast, and then sort of. What was it on from then? You just did a few more tournaments around the world. Yeah, so Gold Coast. That was when it was. So that was when it used to be um, nine tournaments. So it was okay. nine tournaments, and Gold Coast was standalone. So that was. Whereas now it's ten tournaments. They're in like five pairs. Um, so we came back from that, and then the next two were um, Dubai and Port Elizabeth in South Africa. And I didn't get selected for Dubai. Went out and played in like our academy team. Um, and then we moved on to Port Elizabeth where I got selected, played there, which is again like a, a pretty wicked place to play yeah. somewhere else in South Africa. And then like normal kind of Christmas break. Um, and then after the Christmas would have been, this is when it was Wellington and Vegas were paired together. So you'd fly to Wellington and then play to Vegas. And that was kind of when I had like, um, I guess I felt like I was really starting to make my stamp on the team, even though I'd only been in the squad like a few months. and. Um, selection was coming up for Wellington and I, I felt like I'd fully deserved to be part of the squad and obviously naturally with sport like selection doesn't always go your way and I found out that I wasn't going and I was quite upset by it and the coach said to me like Fair, you should be upset like it's it's, mm. a, it's a it's a hard decision for me to make but like you should be upset so that was kind of good to sort of still get that reassurance that I, I wasn't yeah, just yeah. being left out because I wasn't good enough but I eventually got called out to Vegas so played in Vegas which was not bad, is it? Not bad. <laughs> and also, like after, usually after the second week of tournament, because you'd been away for like two or three weeks, teams go out after this, at the second location. So I went out for Vegas, and that was the, set, the end of the tour. So we had a night out in Vegas yeah, afterwards, yeah. and that was just everything you think you can think of. It wasn't <laughs> that. It was just, yeah, it was mad. Like 7 a.m. getting yeah, yeah. casinos, the works, basically. Like scene from the hangover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that was that was mad. Um, I think there's like a stereotype of sevens players, like a really finely tuned athlete, but you obviously still have nights yeah, out. Yeah, totally. Like I think that's the beauty of, like I mean, obviously there are some sportsmen and women that are so highly tuned and yeah. like take so much detail in what they do, but like rugby, that's kind of 
rugby goes hand in hand with like that social aspect, yeah, doesn't definitely. it? So, and sometimes when you've gone been away for three weeks and in the lead up to those three weeks, you've had like a six week training block, you've got to let loose and rugby players are pretty good at letting loose sometimes. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got to enjoy the, enjoy it whilst you can because when you, whenever when might you get the opportunity to like be in Vegas and have some beers? Yeah, so um, but yeah, after that I, I picked up a hamstring injury, which was kind of like my first. Uh, long-term injury with with the sevens, so I didn't I didn't play again that year, which was pretty rough, especially as that was kind of quite a pivotal time in the season. Like contracts were being renewed, and I was only on a one year, so I was, I guess, quite worried about whether I'd get offered another contract. Had I made enough of an impression, but fortunately I had, and although I didn't play anymore that year, like I got offered another contract, which was pretty cool. So, yeah, that was a bit of a whirlwind year, first year in there. Yeah, talking of like sevens players being finely tuned I was obviously doing the little deep dive on the Instagram for you chatting yeah. I saw you chatting to um, Brian O'Driscoll and I kind of in a way don't know how you did it because even watching it made me nervous and <laughs> yeah. you know, his face he's waiting for you to come on I was I so nervous watching it yeah that was I mean he's just a legend isn't yeah. he so I was kind of like someone from HSBC said oh we'd like to see an Instagram live with Brian Driscoll I was like yeah cool he's like one of my idols when I was growing yeah, up and having to log in and tune in with him and just start doing a Q&A it's like you're like, hi, Brian. Yeah, hi, Brian. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, I, I think sometimes it's, like, it's cool to recognise that, obviously, he was an idol of mine, but at the same time, I have to think about, like I was saying earlier, the platform I have as, my, as an athlete, like, obviously, people are then looking to me as, I've not put myself in the same sort of <laughs> quota as Brian O'Driscoll, but, like, still have a, an influence in terms of what I'm speaking about and the platform we were on, HSBC Sport, and talking about how a death zone session with England 7. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, mad. Yeah, and, uh, um, and, and talking of that platform, obviously, you've obviously spoken a lot about um, the mental side of stu- mental side of sport, and obviously, sort of, was it a, about a year in? You had obviously quite a setback with everything that happened with your dad, and what, what was that like? To what was the impact of that like? Knowing that obviously it's a really difficult thing to go through, but at the same time, you're playing such elite level sport. It's sort of in a way sport doesn't wait for anyone and maybe yeah. did you have the sort of same amount of time to grieve and go through it go through the same thing yeah so like you say sport is well as everyone knows like sport is a business especially when you're in like the professional setup and you're on you're often on fixed term contracts so you don't know when like your next contract might be or when your last game might be especially when it comes to injuries but yeah so it was like um 20 november 2015 yeah, my dad died from leukemia, which obviously he, well, not obviously he, but he, so he'd been diagnosed like two years prior to that. And it's something that I was having to, I guess, um, manage the load of whilst going through the end of my university career and then into the start of my sevens career, which alongside like all the demands of now being a professional athlete, now living in London, like away from home, the commitment I was having to put into like nutrition, exercise, sleep, all those things that come with being a professional athlete and ultimately like performing well and yeah so when my dad uh, did die in 2015 it was uh, yeah I guess it was just one of those moments that you're kind of a you got you got one route or another essentially um, and it's well I guess there's, there's plenty of options you can take but it was like go down the route of just kind of crumbling and letting this take over my life and essentially have such a damaging effect on my professional rugby or kind of take the take it by the scruff of the neck and 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 look at how I can try and make the the best of a shit situation 
shit situation. Is that all right? That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know who the listeners are. We've only got a few. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My mum's heard all the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was... Um, and you talk about, like, what you're saying about uh, kind of grieving and stuff. And that was literally the start of the season. I think Dubai was a week... Um, was supposed to be in a week's time when my dad died and so I was kind of like just at a complete crossroads in terms of like, do I continue to keep playing or, and try and just chase the dream or do I need to take the time to process this all and I didn't really probably give myself the time or the space um, to process it and that was partly because I guess I didn't want to address like the pain and the, the, the uncomfortable feelings of, of what came with that but also um, I just wanted to use rugby as like my coping mechanism and that vehicle because that was something like me and my dad shared so much. We had mm. passion and like love for the game, and he was my coach for so many years up until about the age of seventeen. So for me, throwing myself back into rugby just felt like the right thing to do, mm. and felt like that's what he would want me to do. So I hadn't experienced grief before, so I was just kind of going off of instinct and like felt whatever came natural to me that was the route I was going to take and it was it just so happened that I decided to after like the funeral and processing stuff with family that I felt like I wanted to just attack it head on mm. and in six months time as well it was the Rio Olympics I was like that's something I wanted to go to and if I don't sort of just get into it now then I'm going to miss the boat and like like you said sport yeah. doesn't wait around for you like mm, yeah. they've got um performances and like goals that they want to meet and like someone will take my place if I'm not there to be a part of it so it was a real like diff like real difficult situation and like imagine, some yeah. decisions to make and wrong decisions right decisions I don't regret them because obviously they got me to where I was and where I am now but like uh, maybe some could have been dealt with like a little bit better than others so yeah. I guess when you go through something as devastating as that it probably is nice to have a goal that you set yourself so that you stay motivated because otherwise I guess you can get quite de demotivated um, and you sort of just uh, sit around and don't do anything and just yeah. sort of let that grief overcome you yeah so it's nice to have something to work towards I guess yeah I think just like yeah that having that fixed mindset on something that was so motivating for me definitely helped me um, I guess feel like my life was still together in a way even though my dad wasn't around to kind of guide me and help me make such big decisions because obviously something like that usually you look for advice and my mum and sister were obviously having to deal with the their own emotions and the everything that comes with the, a death in the family and mm. but yeah it certainly helped me in terms of like focusing on something but at the same time it also meant that I kind of brushed a lot of things to the side and and didn't really take as much time and, and space as I could have to process thoughts emotions feelings so it's it's a good thing but also you have to understand like the kind of it can be quite toxic as well if you don't sort of balance it out but mm. it certainly helps yeah you can and just use those things like as a um like you say like a motivating factor like you can just turn turn it into like proper fuel yeah and that's for me that's what helped me get i think a, a, a massive reason for why i was able to get to rio in 2016 yeah because i was just like i made a promise to my to my dad and myself like the night he died i was like i'm gonna go to the olympics i'm gonna be an olympian and for me that was i feel like that was a huge reason as to why i was able to achieve that um 
although it was obviously I had to go through such a painful experience to be able to do that and who knows I may still have, still have gone there and done that but at the same time like it just added fuel to the fire and mm. it felt like nothing was going to stop me I was going to achieve it no matter what so yeah yeah well firstly obviously fair play to you for sort of speaking about experiences because it's obviously such a difficult thing to go through but like you said I'm sure it gave you that motivation that why like understanding why I'm doing it and yeah that ultimately led you on to get selected for Rio yeah I think I probably was a bit naive before that in terms of like understanding why I was playing like I think for a long time it always just been for the love of it and which is obviously really important because if you don't love what you're doing then mm. you shouldn't really be doing it that's what I think anyway and and for and for me, it's still a massive motivator. Is just being able to enjoy it, especially when I'm playing with my mates. So for a long, for a number of years, it was that. And then, I guess I started to realise the power of other things you can use in your life that will help you achieve your goals. And for me, that was the the. I guess I saw it as making my dad proud. And people used to tell me like he'll be proud of you no matter what. And I can see that now. But when I was in that like thick cloud fogginess, I was just like. If I don't do this, like I've let him, I've let him down. I've let myself down. But certainly, like it, it helped me start to figure out like new motivators, mm. new new whys, um, and that's a journey I've been on even since then. Yeah. Like having to recognise the that even that um, using my dad as a as a why that starts to like be diluted as well as time goes on, and you have to you have to change the way you think about things and and readdress and reform those whys as well. So. Yeah, it's it's a learning journey and like a learning curve constantly going, but like yeah, I feel like there is always good to come out of bad situations. And so obviously you jumped back into sevens pretty soon after it and you had the Olympics in your sights. What was it like being back in that dressing room environment? Were, were you open to talk about things or because obviously a, a rugby dressing room can sometimes be just like full of banter and people cracking jokes and yeah. stuff. What was it like being back a part of that environment? I mean, it was ex it was exciting because everyone had this shared goal of going to the Olympics. So there was a lot of buzz around that, a lot of energy being put into to that shared goal. Um, and I remember the first time I went back to the sevens, I think it was, I think basically Simon, our head coach, had come to Bristol to see me and my family and said, look, if you want to come back up and see everyone, then you're more than welcome to. And, and he said, if you want to get involved in training, obviously you can, but just see how you feel on the day and I remember getting involved in a training session it happened to be like our death zone session which is the hardest <laughs> session like of the week usually but it just gave me like it just gave me that escape um, like for that time when I was on the pitch like I didn't have anything else to worry about except for rugby and just playing yeah. and um, I think certainly the boys were were conscious of like what I was going through. The management were obviously aware um, and wanted to make sure that my headspace was okay. Because they said, to, if you want to come out to Dubai and Cape Town, like you wanted to be part of the team, but say you get out there and you don't feel like you're in the right mindset, then don't worry about it, we'll fly you home. So everyone was, was really accommodating of the fact that I was obviously going through this, um, through this grief with me and my family. But uh, at the same time, they, they wanted to, provides um, adequate support so that if I did sort of need to take time away then I could but I don't know naturally I think people just without addressing the subject wanted to be as normal with me as possible mm. and that was probably through the avenue of like having a bit of banter laughter 
taking the piss out of someone's haircut yeah. or like yeah insecure the pressure it's not like got three cameras all on you yeah but I think it's just like people naturally for like especially because those kind of subjects can be a bit awkward and you're very conscious of people's emotions and you don't want to upset them um, but like I've said to people and something I've learned is that often uh, even when it's so raw and so fresh like people do seek those like avenues of like um, speaking up and mm. and wanting to talk about the, the, the topic or what they, whatever they've just gone through even if it is just to be like yeah, I'm just finding things really hard today or that it's not necessarily always about going in deep and having a counseling session with that person. Mm. It's more just being like, yeah, like it's really hard. I miss my dad or um, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do next. So those sorts of things. But yeah, everyone was so good to me. Um, they just gave me space to take my time, but also acknowledge the fact that if I wanted to get straight back into rugby, which I did, then they were, they were fully supportive of it. But... <laughs> I remember flying out to Cape Town and we had to, and I was obviously being through like death of, my, death of my dad and naturally everyone brings around like cakes and, and flowers and trying to cook food for us and stuff to just help us make our lives easier. And I'd certainly eat my fair share of cakes and we got out to Cape Town and it was like 30 degrees and Halsey, our S&C coach at the time was like, right, we're gonna have to, obviously you've missed a few weeks of training so you might have to do a few extras at the end of training. So I was doing some top up fitness top ups and I was just in a, I was just hanging mess <laughs> like I wish I'd never eaten all that cake but yeah so I mean well, and then my mum and sister flew out for that tournament so so soon after my dad's death that they were like we want a bit of an escape from ourselves because everything is just so overwhelming like constantly having people asking you questions mm. or you're trying to organise a funeral and stuff so they came out and, and watched me play in Cape Town which was which was a pretty um, I guess perfect way of uh, I don't know closing things whatever it may be but yeah that was a nice way to sort of um, spend some time together mm. I think sevens maybe more than other sports because you, you're always on tour with everyone you, it's such a small squad you're probably really close knit almost like your brothers so it must have been nice having them to support you whilst you're going through that tough time do yeah. you feel like you could talk to them yeah, certainly. I because I remember, like I said earlier about my my debut in Gold Coast. Like my dad was going through pretty heavy treatment at that point, um, and I remember being out in Gold Coast and like FaceTiming him on like and like showing him the surroundings and being so excited. And he was obviously excited for me. And if he could have been, he would have been there to watch me and witness it. But he couldn't. Um, but yeah, like because we spend so much time away on tour, um, we're a full time sevens team like constantly in and out of training in each other's pockets sharing rooms on tour like you go on that emotional roller coaster with people um with the highs and lows of winning losing uh injury rehab all those sorts of things so you have a lot of shared experiences which really helps um and i think that's one thing that i've taken a lot of uh value from like within our sevens team is um often someone else has experienced something similar to what you're going through and if you need to, like a, just a, an ear for someone else to, to listen to what you're, I don't know, potentially suffering from or, or, or enjoying, in fact, like, mm. or, or um, methods of coping, like there's often someone there and, and the boys are um, kind of more than open and willing to, to sort of make themselves available to you, which um, is, 
yeah, just I've, I've benefited from, and it's really important, I think, in that team environment where obviously it's so high pressure that you have to remember as well, like obviously you guys are doing this podcast, there are people behind those players, like human beings mm. that are experiencing emotions like any other normal person. Just because they're a high performance athlete doesn't mean that they're like yeah. emotionless. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was like, yeah, I'm really grateful to have had that support network throughout the, throughout my time. And then it must have not made it sweeter, but then finally getting picked for GB must have just been absolutely yeah. amazing. After, yeah, how did, how did you actually get selected? Like, how does that work? Uh, well, if so, actually, like two months after I was playing in Sydney, and I tore ligaments in my ankle, so I had ankle surgery. So I was like, well, that's not a good start. Like <laughs> grieving my dad and then rehabbing the ankle where you're just like thrown into like the daily routine of that, which is pretty intense. Like that has a mental fatigue as well as a phys- physical fatigue. And I was worrying even more now about making the Olympics. But anyway, got back fit and like probably played some of my best rugby um, for what at the time was like a, lo- a wider squad of English, Scottish, Scottish and Welsh players. There was like probably, I think it was a squad of about 30 split into split into two squads and we went to team uh, competitions around Europe um, a few on a few occasions played against each other which is pretty cool like you've got both teams going head to head it must be a bit weird though thinking like you're competing for one jersey yeah right? yeah it was it was quite um quite daunting and but like it's some of the best rugby I've ever been involved in because everyone is obviously they're only, they're in that squad for a reason like they're some of the best players in their position within Great Britain and everyone's pushing for Olympic spot so the competitiveness and the like uh, performance levels was just through the roof so when we played against each other it was um, it was pretty cutthroat like people didn't hold back especially like obviously it's you against that man and you want that shirt and Mm. he wants that shirt also so who's going to win the battle but yeah fortunate it was like it was like a um, when it came to actual selection it was like a list and your time and your name um and they had like 10 minute gaps, so you didn't cross over with anyone. And fortunately, I was pretty early on the list. So I was like, just nervous, like sweaty palms walking in. I was like, oh. I, was, I was pretty, co- I, was, no, I wasn't confident, but I was like, I was very happy with what, how I performed. And I was like, I guess whatever the outcome of this is, like, I feel like I've done whatever I can to, to put myself in the best position possible. So I was proud of that. But yeah, I walked in and Simon and Babs, the Welsh, who was assistant head coach to Simon, um, I guess they were pretty just like as soon as I sat down it was kind of pretty quick it's like you guys sat opposite me now they were like I can't remember what they said but it's like said something about like how impressed they'd been and then like you're going to the Olympics like you're gonna you're part of the 12 oh, you want to be part of the 12 <laughs> how did you react I was just did you try and play it cool <laughs> I think I was I, I don't know I was just so overwhelmed like yeah. yeah I think I just immediately a massive smile yeah. came across my face and you almost have to double take you'd be like can you say that again? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure I heard you right because obviously, you're just like in a bit of a whirlwind. But yeah, it was it was mental. And they they said we were part of the twelve, right? Because we were taking two trapping reserves as well, so it's like actually a fourteen man squad. But I was part of the actual twelve um, that we were going to take the field, and I was just like, and obviously, so many emotions started to come back about like the relationship with me and my dad, and mm-hmm. the promise I'd made to myself and him, and all the hard work before that with injuries, um, him dying, like me, my mum, my sister and all the and all those sort of associations I'd made with the whole the whole journey and so I rang my mum straight away and she was in the post office and I remember her like kind of 
I don't know what she did, but it sort of sounded like she passed out or screamed, <laughs> or like dropped to the deck or something. But she was just like so proud of me, and obviously wanted to remind me how proud my dad would have been of me as well. And yeah, I just remember kind of it was just a total roller coaster. It was yeah. like full spectrum. I was like yeah. overwhelmed. I was also like so devastated that I couldn't speak to him and tell him. So I was upset. I was happy. I was relief. Yeah, relief. Exactly, all yeah. of the above. But yeah. And that was when it was Sevens was making its debut at the yeah, Olympics. Yeah. It was the whole the world's eyes were on Sevens. Yeah. yeah. And like before that, it was the World Series. Now it's Olympic Games. And like you say, the whole world was was ready to witness it. And I was like, yeah, this is kind of cool. <laughs> what was the build up to the Olympics like? Like for me, even little things like getting the stash just must yeah. be crazy. <laughs> Mate, that was one of the best days of my life because we went up to Birmingham. We knew we were going to go for the kissing out. And, you hear about the stories and Adidas were doing it and I think that year they'd done a collaboration with Stella McCartney so you're like this, this gear is going to be pretty sharp um, and we got up there and it was just us and it was like a, a massive warehouse and there was like a shoe section which was like going into like JD Sports like trainers just a wall mm -hmm. of trainers and you could pick like your size in three or four different styles and then there was like bespoke suits over here um, then there was just like random bits like you could go and get like your name engraved on a golden spoon from Kellogg's <laughs> no, <laughs> you're all given like airport you ever need that exactly. I'd be but taking I was, everything like, I was taking yeah, everything yeah. I was like yeah I'll kid in a candy it. shop yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll have that please yeah, yeah so there was all sorts and it was like Kia were there as like a car sponsor which I didn't we didn't get a car but like um, yeah it was that was a crazy day yeah. so that whole and that's when obviously this, the media storm starts to blow up as well like we got verified on Twitter and Instagram, like those sorts of things, yeah. the famous blue tick and those sort of things. You're like, wow, this is kind of, this is real. And like, yeah, you just, yeah, kid in the candy store. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you can tell, like, I can't even sort of speak just about it now as well. I remember that like sort of week on Instagram, there was, you know, that picture where it's like from the top and yeah. you've got all your kit laid out. Yeah. I remember seeing so many of them thinking that's just so sick. Yeah. I think I just that's wouldn't take the stash off. I'll just go to sleep in it <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what it felt like. It was just so unique, like like nothing I'd felt before. And there was photos all around the all around the warehouse of like the Team GB poster boys. And Tom Mitchell, our sevens captain, was one of them. So we had obviously taken the mick out of him, like being on the posters. But there was like Dino Asher Smith, like the Brownlee brothers, all those yeah. sorts of things. You're like, wow, I'm actually part of this team. Like, and the caliber of people involved. You're like, yeah. wow, this is sick. Yeah, that's the thing about. Team GB is like yeah you're not just part of a rugby team you're literally part of like yeah you Chris Hoyes like your Mo Farah like yeah those like proper like, all like, been before you yeah Isn't legends that? of British sport yeah um, yeah we're part of that um, that team and it is like a family and I remember we went to like the kind of official rugby sevens announcement we went to like the um, embassy in in London and you meet like the um, the head of Team GB and you get like a you get sent like a confirmation letter with the stamp at the top. It's all those sorts of things. It's like, wow, this is, you're part of like a family essentially yeah. and, and like a long history of, of athletes. So yeah, it was <laughs> crazy times. Yeah. So then you flew out to Rio? Yeah. Well, not actually quite. We flew out to Belo Horizon, which is like um, where our holding camp was. So we, uh, we didn't fly straight into the village. So that was like an hour's north. But yeah, like I said there again, there was, there was sprinters there, there was swimmers, like all different sports. And we had our, like our big kind of mini athletes village, I guess. And um, that was when it started to, to, I guess, kit home even more, like every day spent in kit, 
meetings, talk, like media interviews, um, and then also just like bumping into athletes, having a chat with them. They're asking like, how preparation's going. And Rugby Sevens was, was getting a fair bit of like recognition because obviously it was new and people were like, oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and obviously the boys were just hyped for it, uh, really excited at the prospect, but it didn't, it didn't exactly go to plan for me. Um, as, yeah, basically like, what was it? <laughs> Two days before conference, it was just like wicked week, wicked week um, in the lead up, training going well, uh, gym going well. We were like two days due to fly into the Olympic Village competition start. I think, I don't know who, I can't remember who our group was, but obviously you've got New Zealand, South Africa, Fiji, top teams there. I think yeah, that was the year when Sonny Bill Williams had come onto the circuit to be part of it. So he was in the New Zealand squad. Um, Cheslin Colby was part of the South Africa squad. Um, who else? Like Tuasova and Nakarawa Nakura were playing for Fiji. So like proper 15 stars. And we were just our typical Team GB selves, <laughs> got us off the World Series. Um, but yeah, just due to fly into the Olympic Village, we were doing like our last gym session. And um, yeah, I was doing box jumps with some of the boys. and. As I came down, I caught my caught my edge on the uh, my, caught my ankle on the edge of the box like that, and just rolled over and proceeded like all my weight just fell through Jeez. my ankle, dislocated it. And I mean, some players <laughs> are injury prone, and, <laughs> yeah. but for you, it just seems like that's bad luck. Like yeah. you can't foresee that happening. I know, no, not at all. And that was like the I went on that journey in terms of like mindset and kind of questioning like why has this happened to me? What's like, am I just not made for rugby or but I guess that was pretty plain to see like it was just pure bad luck and um, yeah my ankle just like blew up massive swelling bruising taken straight to hospital painkillers leg put in a car sent back to the hotel on crutches and all the other athletes and the teams are just looking at me like mate you've got this all wrong you're getting <laughs> injured now um, but like as I said about earlier when the England sevens when I was going through grief for my dad and the England boys, but like again, the Team GB lads, because obviously that was made up of a few Scottish and Welsh boys. Like they know what I'd gone through previously, also with my dad, because we'd spoken about that and our own individual journeys as part of like the unitedness of our Team GB team. But like they immediately, obviously, all got around me and tried to support me as much as possible and recognised that it was <laughs> pretty rough going. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think at first I didn't, I wasn't really able to process it because it was just, you know, it just everything happened so quickly. Yeah, you go from a hundred of the excitement of the Olympic Games to zero so quickly, yeah. and it's just like with everything you've been through, it's just like why you again? It's yeah, totally. It's been horrible. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I just obviously it still it still sticks out in my mind. Like you have to kind of laugh about it now because you're like at the time I did a fair bit of sort of crying and emotional sort of searching, soul yeah. searching, but certainly um, yeah, it was it, it was just like. How has this happened? Because um, mm. you had to fly back home to Bristol. Yeah. Didn't so you? when they when we were due to fly into the Olympic Village, I was on the same flight, Olympic Village. I basically got a connecting flight home to Heathrow. I mean, it wasn't all bad. I got to fly home first class. Like, so <laughs> that was small yeah, wins. Like champagne and champagne sipping whilst like pretty dosed up on painkillers. So I was like, I was I was having a pretty good time. I was making the most of yeah. It was a pretty tough situation, but yeah, that was rough. Like, and then came home. Had uh, had surgery in London. Mum came, picked me up, brought me back to Bristol. Obviously, wanted to watch the Olympic Games regardless of whether I was involved in it or not. And then yeah. the team went on to win a silver medal, which was 
which was hard. Like, mm. um, I was yeah, completely mixed emotions, I guess, pretty bittersweet. Happy for them, but a bit yeah. jealous in a way as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Like, felt I deserved to be there sharing that kind yeah. of experience with them. And, but, like, yeah, I, was, I wasn't angry, but I was obviously just like, damn, like, that's, that's Should be I'm missing you. out here. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, just massive achievement. Because Team GB were kind of, nobody's going into the tournament. Like, weren't really considered to be medal hopes. And so, I mean as I've said to loads of people and people have said to me like I could have been a gold medal so yeah, yeah. yeah if you'd been there it would have been yeah. straight gold yeah exactly so that's the next one we'll pick up a gold somewhere else I guess did it make you more motivated to get to Tokyo 2020 yeah I, 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 that wasn't initially I guess my my first like idea of what's next because between uh, 2016 and 2020 was like a Commonwealth Games and a Sevens World Cup so I started focusing on those sorts of things and Obviously, also had to get back fit first with my ankle, but yeah, certainly, certainly, immediately sprung to mind. I was like, right, this is um, a box I'm still kind of yet to tick. Even though people say that, like, obviously, you were part of that squad and you always will be, which I can understand. Like, it still doesn't really sit with me comfortably that I'd never actually made it onto the pitch. Um, so that yeah, for me, that's certainly something that I'm I'm looking forward to. Uh, well, I was looking forward to this year, but now it's changed lanes to next year. But we just move on, we adapt. How have you managed to stay so motivated? Like you've had all of these setbacks, like what happened with your dad and these terrible injuries. How do you, when you get a bad injury like that and you are straight back to square one, how do you get the motivation to do all the rehab again? Like how have you stayed so resilient? Uh, I haven't always, like it's not been as kind of, I guess, sweet or straightforward as maybe I'm talking about it sometimes. There's certainly been, like there's been some really dark times where I've, questions like I guess my biological makeup like my physical body am I actually built to play rugby like can my body withstand the demands of it mm. um questioning like yeah like why me like I've got injured again am I doing something wrong can I be doing anything different and you start to really kind of I guess doubt yourself um and your preparation which obviously is is such a huge part of sport so um what has helped me so much I think I guess each time I, I guess almost each injury is like a, a lesson in itself and like that that has kind of helped me in terms of rather than just having one and that being being it you, you just learn from those experiences um, so for me it's been about like realizing the even though you're going through like a 12 week let's say 12 week rehab on your ankle like whilst you're going through like 12 weeks after four weeks you might be out of your boot or off your crutches and that's like a small win mm. and like being really aware of those and kind of celebrating them yeah. so like it's a goalpost you can aim yeah, for yeah exactly and... be like right I've ticked that box I'm going to go out and have like some beers on Friday with my mates just to like celebrate that win because that's an achievement in itself like obviously there's still a long way to go but you have to remember like success isn't just from like A to B there's like all sorts of ups and downs along the way and um, it's not as straightforward as as just like going in doing your ankle proprioception or your, your weights there's so much more to it um, and yeah I mean we're really lucky that how well we get looked after with our management so they recognise when like maybe I've come in and they can tell like my mood or my motivation is a bit low they might be like right let's have two days off and just go away or have a long weekend away or something like that so that's where I guess the people around you are really important not just the physios and the coaches but like your friends and your family who you can go to and be like, um, this is, like I'm finding this hard or 
um, I need a break for mm. a bit. Can we speak about whatever it may be? Because it's just as mentally fatiguing as it is physically, if not even more mentally fatiguing than it is physically, I guess. I think didn't, uh, the RFE offer you a psycho- uh, like a psychologist to chat to as well. Yeah. Did that help? Yeah, we've had one pretty much, I think she came on board pretty much my whole time with the sevens. Um, so she went on that whole journey of like understanding grief um, and the rehab process and, and that. So just having, I guess, that independent uh, safe space was really helpful because I knew that unless I gave her permission, like nothing was going to be shared beyond that, beyond me and her. Um, and I just, she just made me, I was just comfortable. Like it wasn't always necessarily about sitting down and having like proper therapy and trying to unpack like the thoughts and feelings and emotions. It was more just like a chat and, and time for me to be, to unload, like I guess the baggage that I had. And it took me a fair bit of time to, to do that. And she had to like chip away and ask those questions and probe and, and whatnot. And I think for a long time I was pretty resistant to it because I just recognised that behind whatever I was going to say was going to be like it was going to be painful, um, and I didn't want to experience that. So I was like, if I just sort of bat off these and just like defend, mm-hmm. um, maybe she'll stop asking questions. But she could tell that I was, I was just basically doing that. So she managed to to help me with that. But she's like so beneficial. Katie Warren has just been like. I guess a bit of a I don't want to say lifesaver because that sounds like she literally saved my life, but like. I think it could have gone like taken a completely different route if it wasn't for having someone like that who was genuinely um, just so invested in my like well-being as a as a person rather than a player. Like, because she recognised like if if AJ as the human being is in a good place, then the rugby player will be in a good place also. And it was more about that rather than being like uh, like figuring out performance aspects. Mm. So yeah, she's been just like unreal, and I guess. I think of her more as like a, a, a lifelong friend now rather than just a psychologist. Yeah, I think like most, so obviously we've spoken to a few sports people and a lot of them say about that support network, just like the comfort of someone there, even if it's like, yeah, like a friend or, you know, someone like uh, the psychiatrist that you, you just have that comfort with and yeah. can help so much. Yeah, that's, a, and she did, she just made me feel comfortable and and I remember one particular session we were just due to have like a catch up and have a chat. We hadn't said or, or hadn't said to her like, can we talk about how I switch on for games or switch off for games? It was just like, can we have a catch up? And this is when I was probably going through a pretty dark time. And she was just like, it was like, we had sat down now. We just sat down after at the end of the day. And she said like, how's things going? And I just, I went to be like, yeah, okay. And just completely mm. just broke down. Um, just emotional, like started crying. Couldn't, couldn't get any words out. And that was just evidence, evidence of, my uh, actions beforehand of just like bottling things up, like carrying, holding on to all that baggage, which she'd obviously been trying to get out of me. And, and she always knew that I guess that day was going to come at some point, but she just wanted it for it to come naturally. And then me for me able to recognize the fact or the, the, I guess the health benefits of it. And immediately afterwards, I felt like totally liberated. I was like, I could go out and run a marathon right now. It's unreal. <laughs> um, but yeah, that support network, I think is so important. And it's not like, I said it's not necessarily people trying to make you say something that you're not ready to say, but just allowing you space to, mm-hmm. to feel comfortable enough to, to be able to do it. 
We figure it's so great how open you are talking about all this stuff because too often athletes try and put on a front. To, they want to, on the exterior, look strong and they don't want to be talking about mental health and that sort of stuff. So it's great that you're being able to use your platform to talk about it and sort of promote these discussions because yeah. that is important, isn't it? And like too often as a fan, you look at athletes and you think of them as just sort of robots, but actually there's so much going on in their heads yeah. and that is just as important as their physical attributes as well. Yeah. Is there, yeah, it's much more. There's much more depth to people than I guess you, you see in, on the TV or in the papers, and you can't always take things at face value. And um, and that's kind of what I've gone on in terms of. What I, was, I think we spoke about earlier, like my I guess my reforming of my why. Like I started to realise that just using my dad as a motivation wasn't sort of enough anymore, and I was having to think about. And this was at a time when I was potentially considering retirement because I'd had like three or four surgeries on the bounce like um my shoulder last year almost had to retire from that so i was kind of really questioning whether i was gonna have to give up rugby like a lifelong dream kind of earlier than i was hoping to and so um just using my dad as the reason to carry on wasn't enough anymore and so part of that was like you know, saying about making mental health a more spoken about subject and like how can i essentially be a role model for like my peers um pe the people around me like mm. not just in my team but like also my friends my family and and for me that's that's how i've been able to again find i guess a, not a new love but like um a just an increased or uh yeah just just brought it back up again like the reason why i'm playing is is now to to still obviously enjoy it and love it, but also to kind of be um, essentially like a good role model um, for the people around me. And that's through the avenues of like you guys talking about mental health and resilience, grief, injury, all sorts really. I think rugby, although it's obviously quite a macho sport, it is quite open to these sort of discussions, like sort of the characteristics of rugby. It's, it's all about respect and fair play and honesty and integrity and stuff. And like, for example, uh, when Gareth Thomas came out as gay, people received that really well within the rugby community. So I think it is quite progressive off the pitch, isn't it? And that hopefully means that people feel comfortable talking about mental health within rugby. Yeah, I think so. Um, like, obviously, whenever you go to rugby matches, like the crowds often mix together. So there's never kind of usually that host hostile environment between people. And um, it's rugby is quite an expressive sport. Like you can be quite creative and. I think because you, I think just a sport in general is great for that, like creating that space for people to, to be, be vulnerable, essentially be emotionally available because you do have that shared experience of highs and lows. So you're going on journeys together constantly. Um, so it's, it's always a good, um, it's a great vehicle for like change and uh, encouraging good characteristics in people and good behaviors. Yeah, you're you're hundred percent right. Like, getting things out and sort of reforming things in your head, just like you said, it makes you feel like like superpowers. It's like yeah. it makes you feel amazing. Yeah, and it's no surprise that from sort of you addressing that, you then obviously went on to do a lot of really good things in the future. Like yeah. in the in the years following, so it's no surprise. Like, it's yeah, correlation. I think, um, and like even when it was times when I didn't really know what to do, just as simple as like writing thoughts and feelings down like just get, almost getting them out of your head and onto paper like yeah they're still potentially bubbling around but you've 
kind of been able to step back from it a little bit by just having it on a piece of paper um, and that's that's some, one thing that I found has been helpful and yeah it's I mean like I say there's there's definitely been dark times when I haven't wanted to continue playing rugby but at the same time there's been massive moments of success like um, went to a Commonwealth Games and won a bronze medal I mean like to be involved again in a multi-sport event like that represent Team England again where you've got uh, like major global athletes competing like that was amazing and to come away with a medal was even more special and then we went to a, a Sevens World Cup in San Francisco yeah. and played in like the baseball stadium which is just yeah, mental <laughs> like like it's just so unique and like to, to having those moments of success reminds you why you're going through those those dark periods and like how much I mean obviously some people will decide at points to be like you know enough's enough and sometimes you do have to step back and put your well-being first but if you can like get through it and, and not surrender to like those dark periods and figure out a way through the, the sort of the fog I guess then you will you will um, be rewarded for it like um, but yeah it's, there's been some great times yeah for sure and it's like the sport just has the ability doesn't it to make you feel so amazing but also stuff like Rio can literally do the complete opposite so yeah yeah I think that's probably what as a kid I was thinking of like complete stardom but then you re you like you do realize that there is kind of highs and lows and it can pick you up but it can also like send you to, to the pits as well but I think that's the beauty of it and like it brings people together and it connects and yeah, I think that's why everyone's like people just love sport. And when you go through those lows, it makes the highs even sweeter, doesn't it? Yeah. But yeah, you've obviously had a lot of highs. Like you've won in the Cape Town Sevens, like beating South Africa in their own backyard. That's one of the biggest feats you can do in Sevens rugby. Then obviously, yeah. as you say, like the, the Sevens World Cup in San Francisco, um, unbelievable experience, and obviously a Commonwealth bronze medal. Yeah. Wh which out of those, or out of any of your Sevens experience, would you say has been the highlight? <sighs> I mean, yeah, those ones obviously spring to mind naturally, but. There's always, like, I don't know why I've always kind of enjoyed playing with sometimes with the, um, with some of the younger guys, like the academy team, and there's always one that sticks out. It was the Commonwealth Games here, and again, I'd been injured, so I was having to catch up on some rugby, and I went to Hong Kong with, like, we sent an academy team, and the, the, the senior squad flew out straight to Australia for the Commonwealths to basically start preparation a bit earlier, but I had to go to Hong Kong with, like, one or two other senior boys, Charlie Hayter and Will Edwards. And the rest of the squad was like young guys in their first year playing the Hong Kong Sevens, which is kind of considered to be like the pinnacle of rugby mm. sevens. And we were playing Scotland on the Friday night and it was like 8pm, everyone piled out of work, like lit up the stadium. Scotland were fully loaded, like full Commonwealth Games team. And we were like young whippersnappers with a couple of old heads like me. <laughs> and we just about like, we lost them by like two points last play they scored. Um, but like for me, that that those kind of moments really stick out because we had like there was no expectation on us but people like the everyone just got together and there was when we always talk about whenever we put that shirt on like obviously making them proud and for me despite losing like that's one thing that really sticks out in my memory is like the the attitude and the effort we as a squad had to like just putting our best foot forward and, and making them proud and like the rest of the tournament for the for that weekend didn't go particularly well and I didn't play much more because they, they wanted me on limited minutes for the Commonwealths. But like for me, playing with those young guys, um, seeing them on like on such a big circuit express themselves mm. and play some good rugby, that that one for me really sticks out. Um, and then you yeah, obviously the wins in like Cape Town and 
South Africa, uh, the World Cup, um, and hopefully 2021 Olympics next year. That's the next. That's the next big goal that hopefully you'll get an achievement, get a medal, come home with a medal. <laughs> It'll be gold this time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and was the Commonwealth win with a few of the boys from Rio? Uh, yeah. So that was that was kind of why I think like the Cape Town Sevens sticks out so much and the Commonwealth because quite a lot of the guys in the, both those squads were at the Rio Olympics and won the silver medal. So Must have made it pretty sweet. Yeah, to have like then that shared success with them where I'd missed out on like that enjoyment, I guess, and that celebration. We then had a, we had, we could share that together again. Um, and the Commonwealth Games is like just, well, for some sports, it's actually like the biggest thing because some sports obviously aren't in the in the Olympics, but they're in the Commonwealth. So, again, like the hype around it's massive, and that was on the Gold Coast, Australia, where I'd made my debut. Like unbelievable location for a Commonwealth Games, and yeah, to go there and and come away with a medal was pretty surreal. Like when we when we lost to New Zealand in the final, it was obviously devastating because we knew we weren't going to get to play for the gold medal, but we had a, still had a chance of meddling to beat if we beat South Africa in the in the third fourth playoff and. Yeah, that whole moment where you go through, you have to put your tracksuit on and you go to the medal ceremony and you get asked to, and they're laying out the platforms and the women got their medals before us and then we get called up and Team GB, uh, Team England get announced as like bronze me- bronze Commonwealth Games medalist and you step onto the podium, you get given like your little souvenir and <laughs> and you get hand, look, handed your medal and you're like, and you look down there and you have to take a moment to like take it all in yeah, and look around. Proper and hold, pinch me moment. Yeah, massively. And obviously I've got photos and stuff and you're just like, and it's at home, just like on one of my shelves. And even when I see it now, I'm yeah. just like, hang on, that's Does mine. Does that belong to me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's in like this little presentation box and I take it out sometimes. I was like, wow, this is this is sick. Like, And I'll always have that with me. And so, yeah, to have that with the guys that went to Rio was like... Pretty special. Yeah, really special. Um, I think, yeah, we could literally talk for like hours, I'm sure, but potentially sort of wrap it up there, I think. It's yeah. Been, Amazing chatting to you, Alex, and thanks so much for coming on. It's obviously a, a mad story, and your ability to be so open about it and so honest that would definitely resonate with a, with a lot of people. So thanks for doing that, mate. Yeah, and hopefully you're going to be selected for the Tokyo 2021, and we'll be able to watch you. Yeah, that's the dream next year, hopefully. But yeah, I've, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been it's been cool to be here and just chat things through. Really appreciate so, it, Alex. Nice one, mate.